0: then it impacts every other fact that you'll ever learn if it is a false statement then every other fact that you'll ever learn is going to be a meaningless fact there is a god and we have very good reason to believe that there is a god one of my struggles is that, that this, is, this is something we could you can go really deep on, and I'm trying to very intentionally not go as deep as we could go, because I want to make this point. These things are simple. They're foundational. Don't overthink them. When you begin to overthink them, when you begin to overthink them, is is when we get lost in the minutiae of different arguments and different things that people are talking about. When we talk about why we believe there is a God, it really isn't any more complicated than the simple law of cause and effect. There is no explanation in this world for our existence besides God. There is none. And that's what we talked about this morning. God has given us evidence surrounds us every day and so our verse for this month this is what we're learning if you weren't here this morning this is what we are learning as a congregation we're just reading today okay but by the time that you focus on this in your home throughout the week we'll be doing a little bit more than reading next week by the end of the month by the end of the month it's going to be stuck in your head when i was a kid we had a an emphasis on the family okay and i remember I don't remember anything about any sermon that was preached, to be quite honest. But I do remember we sang a new song, God Give Us Christian Homes. Y'all know that song? Because it's not new anymore. It's pretty old, but it it was new to us then. And I remember we sang it so many times, I thought if I never sing that song again, it'll be okay. Okay? But I can tell you, I don't need the book 30, 40 years later. I don't even need the book to sing give us Christian homes because we went over it so many times. That's what I want us to do with Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. So are you ready? Everybody together. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans 1 and verse 20. The reason that we're starting with this as a foundational principle is, is because it is, at, it is at the beginning of really knowing anything. This is at the beginning of really knowing anything. So often in the church, we we start off or we or we assume or we assume some of these foundational principles, which is fine in the right context, but, but, but to understand there are many people that you will engage with, maybe even your own children or your own family members, your own, your, your, your own co-workers, who, who they, don't, they don't have the same set of assumptions that you have. And so you try to jump straight into a conversation talking about what the Bible teaches. You talk about the fact, well, the Bible teaches X. There any, any great number of things you could talk about that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that baptism is for the remission of sins. Fact. Acts 2 and verse 38. Right? Uh, the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. Fact. Romans 1 and verse 26. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the Son of God. Fact. Luke 26 and verse 70. The Bible teaches that God loves you. Fact. John 3 and verse 16. I mean, those are all facts, right? But but we begin, we begin to to engage in in, in conversations, in, in conversations like that. We're, we're basically saying the Bible teaches X, therefore I know that X is true. And you have that conversation with another individual, you're trying to, to study, you're trying to save, you're trying to save their soul. And they might look at you and they might say, I hear what you're saying. I don't deny that the Bible teaches any of those things. Matter of fact, I can read the same scriptures that you're, you're, you're doing a really good job of showing me what the Bible teaches. But why do I care about what the Bible says? See, when, 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 you, when, you, when you talk to your grandmother, you didn't, have to, you didn't have to deal with that for the most part. Because I can remember having conversations, sitting around with with my grandparents, and we were talking about, it wasn't the the deepest theology in the world in retrospect. I'll tell you some other conversations later. But I remember the basis of all these conversations was, well, that's what the Bible says. So that is the reality. Deal with it. Right? I mean, this is the end of this story. That's what the Bible says. Well, great. That's a wonderful conversation. Matter of fact, a lot of our Bible classes are going to be set up that way. We're going, to, we're going to have some assumptions coming in. I want to know, what does the Bible say? Go onto a college campus, and you hold up a sign about, uh, with a with, with verse Scripture on it about what the Bible says, and you know, what, you know what many young people are going to say? Who cares? Who cares if, that was, if, if that's what the Bible says? They don't believe. They don't believe this book came from God. As a matter of fact, back it up even further, they don't even believe that there is a God. But if they did believe that there was a God, then why would they give any preference to this book over some other book? I mean, I mean what about the Koran? What about the Book of Mormon? Uh, what about Confucius? What about other holy writings that many people in this world very sincerely believe? These are harder questions, aren't they? But you're going to have to answer these questions if you're going to impact this soul right? You're going to have to understand that. Otherwise, you're going, to, you're going to keep butting up against that wall saying, well, the Bible says the Bible says, yeah." but they don't care what the Bible says because they're not ready to talk about what the Bible says because, because they don't even know that the Bible's God's inspired word. They don't even know that there is, that there is a God. And so in our in our thought process or in our conversation or or in our outreach or in our evangelism or in our frustration as to why people are not are not understanding or they're not buying in to what we say, it may not just be a conviction issue, it may not be a dedication issue, it may mean that they just don't have some 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 basic facts. So so you were gonna have to back up and before we teach what the Bible's what the Bible teaches, I've got to back up and I gotta say the Bible's God's inspired word. So why do you believe that the Bible is God's inspired word? Now, you notice that's one of our foundational, our foundational principles. This is the conversation you need to have. And you may not know why. You just you think it is, you believe it is, or maybe you could give a very soft answer about those things, right? I want to firm that up. I want to firm that up because, because other people are not going to accept your soft answers any more than you would accept their soft answers. I want to really be able to explain this is why I believe the Bible is God's inspired word. And only then can I talk about what, about what it is the Bible is teaching. But you're living in this world, you're, 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 li- you're living in this world where, where, listen, people are even going to say, well, yeah, but I don't even know I believe in God. I don't even know if I believe in God. Right? We talked this morning about atheists, agnostics, You guys deal with this? Gracie, you live on a, you know, a secular college campus, right? So, like, is, would you say there are, there are a lot of people that they'll say, oh, why do I care about God? God is not in the picture. When we figure out what we're doing on Friday night, for, for the vast majority of young people in our society, they're not thinking, I wonder what God would think about what I'm doing tonight. That is not what they're thinking. That's what you're thinking, I hope. That's what I'm thinking, I hope, Right? But that's not what they're thinking. They're not even thinking, I know what God says, but I'm just going to rebel against God. That's not what. They're not even thinking about God. He's not a process. He's not a part of the equation in so many people's lives. So, so if I'm, if I'm going to have this conversation, if I'm going to have this conversation, I'm going to have to back up again to this idea that God exists. So that's why we spent some time this morning. We'll spend some time all throughout this month talking about the fact that God exists. And it's only then that I can... This was actually beat in my head when I was a student at Freed Hardman. Uh, It is the argument for religious knowledge. How do you know anything? How do you know anything? Well, you're going to have to satisfy these criteria. Number one, you're going to have to prove that God exists. Number two, you're you're, you're going to have to understand that the Bible is God's inspired word. And then number three, you're going to have to teach and show that the Bible teaches something. The the Bible teaches X, whatever X is. Then you know that X is true. Okay, so so once again, most of the time in our preaching and teaching in this environment, we skip right down there to, to to number three. The Bible teaches X, right? We want Bible, book, chapter, verse. That's real preaching, right? Right, We we understand that. We demand that as as we should. But when the devil gets in there to understand, he doesn't have to have a conversation with people about what the Bible teaches if he can undermine the things things that come before that. If he can plant doubts in in people's minds about whether or not the Bible actually is God's inspired word, if they don't really believe that, I'm just going to tell you, there are some things in this book... If I don't believe that they are the the God-breathed, inspired word and will of God, I would never have the will, I would never have the nerve to even say them out loud. So if I'm not pretty convicted that what I have is God's word, right? If I think think that what I have is is Ronnie's word, I'm like, well, okay, but I ain't going to preach that. I mean, it may be good, maybe based on lots lots of good experience and all, but... Oh, but all of a sudden it changes when they become God's Word. And I, I come up into those implications. Well, if that's true, then what about this? And what, that, That's where your Bible studies always break down. Okay, yeah, but it's not going to break down because it's God's Word. Like, deal with the implications because they're implications that come from God. Does that make sense? There's a difference in that. Or, or if someone can, can come in, in there and, and they can plant doubts. Well, how can anyone even know if there is a God? Right? And and, and and all of these things, nobody, n- nobody comes in there as a, well, I say nobody. Usually, th- th- that doesn't come from a preacher tr- 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 trying to undermine faith. It comes from people that are trying to, to appear as if they are very intelligent. Go back to Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1 and verse, and verse 21. This is right after our verse about people being without excuse because the evidence is around us. So why, if there's so much evidence all around us, why are there so many people that don't believe or they act like they don't believe? Well, he tells us. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, well, how do they know God? They knew God because God was evident within them. God made it evident, verse 19. There was evidence that was all around them. There are no excuses, right? But even though they, didn't, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Remember Psalm 14? It is the fool who has said in their their heart that there is no God. These are foolish concepts. But we have to identify them for what they are. Well, something came from nothing. Something came from nothing. You don't have to be too smart to to, to understand that's foolishness. That's foolishness. It doesn't work that way. Something doesn't come from nothing. Nothing in the physical world works that way. But yet that's exactly that's exactly where where many people are going to come from under the guise of enlightenment. Under the under the guise of look at how smart I am, under the guise of intellectual intimidation. Smart people don't believe in God. And you're smart, you're smart, right? So and then all of a sudden you've got a, you know, you've got a twenty one year old and they're like, Well, I'm smart, so I'm not... Professing to be wise, they became fools plays out over and over and over again it, it is not that there are a lot of people who are reasoning their way uh, who are reasoning their way away from god no pe- people are actually trying to give the, the the pretense that i'm actually the intellectual superior because i'm not so foolish as to believe in god and all i've done is flip it because really they are the foolish one they are the foolish one they are the one that's saying that they think that something came from nothing and if you believe that then i'm just going to tell you that's foolish That's as foolish as me saying that snowman appeared out in my front yard and nobody built it. Really? That doesn't make any sense at all. But you know what? The idea that a snowman appeared in my front yard and nobody built it, that actually makes more sense than I appeared in this world and nobody built me and nobody made me. Or this world exists in all of its perfection and all of its glory, but nobody designed it. The snowman thing makes more sense Okay, but this is the world that we live in, where they are professing to be wise. I'm so intelligent that this is where Satan is winning his battle against so many. If if you want if you want to understand that even more, start trying to talk to somebody about what the Bible actually teaches. It's something that's disappearing in in our world. Okay, so so most so most of the people that that are rejecting Christ, that are rejecting Christ, they're rejecting the church. When you begin to talk to them about what the Bible teaches, they're incapable of that conversation. I wish that weren't the case. And that's not universal. I'm not indicting everybody. But I'm going to say that biblical literacy in, in, our, in our world is just, I'll say our nation in particular, has just taken a nosedive. And what I'm telling you is that, is, is that, is that their lack of faith is, is not over a theological point. The fact that they're not in a church, any church, let alone the church, has nothing to do with the fact that they've read the Bible and they've, and they've made a decision based on what they've seen in the scriptures. It has nothing to do with that. Because they don't know what the Bible says. If you want to if you and once again, if you want demonstration of that, just listen to people when they talk about the Bible and you think, like, I don't think you've read the Bible. By the time we get to done, you'll know 12 verses and you'll, like I said, a lot of people will think you're a Bible scholar. Where, where is it breaking down? It's breaking down earlier. That's why these things are foundational. J- Jesus. Jesus talked about our approach, our approach to the truth in Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but, but you know what he says. He says, Whoever hears these things of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and it did not fall for it was grounded on the rock. Listen, this is about foundation. You've got to build a foundation. And I don't know where your foundation's at, but this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a foundation. Don't believe something just because you believe it. Don't believe it just because your mama believed it. Believe it because it's true. And, and whether whether we're talking about, do you really believe, do you really believe that immersion is for the remission of sins? Because many people do not. Many people reject that. Many people deny that. So, why do you believe that? Well, it's going to help if you actually know, if you actually know the Scriptures that teach that, right? But, but that foundation is going to be even stronger if you, if you go back and somebody says, well, I don't even know I believe in the Bible. Well, let me tell you why you should believe in the Bible. I don't even know if I believe in God. Well, let me tell you why you should believe in God. And all of a sudden, you've got that house. You've got that foundation. You've got those footers that are around your house that you hope you never see, right? But, but if you don't have them, what's going to happen? You can't just go out and build, build your house on a, on a piece of dirt might look nice for a while. Things are going to fall apart when the wind begins to blow. Everyone, Jesus says, who hears these these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Now we can make some point about whether we do or we do not do the will of God, but my point is about the importance of a foundation. You must have a foundation. So as so we begin to walk through this, and somebody said, well, well, let's talk about how God exists. We started this this morning, right? Very simple. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. We'll get into, we'll get into some more, but we're going to keep it really simple. There's some very basic reasons to believe that there is a God. Somebody said, well, but if God exists, why, did, why doesn't he just show himself? Right? Don't you think that would make things a lot easier? Have you ever wished? god would just show himself uh, the, the bible's filled with people that wish god would just show himself by the way okay and over and over th- there, there's a problem with god just showing himself people become overwhelmed right he shows he shows Moses his backside and he hides him in the cleft of the rock Pe- people die in the presence of god when people come into the presence of god wh- what do they always start doing well, we have like Isaiah, he just starts confessing his sin, right? We have Peter, Peter's like, I'm unworthy of this. I mean, you, you can't handle it, okay, when you begin in the, in the presence of a holy God. This is the problem. It's the reason, it's the reason when, when you read the book of Job, and Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and we sing, I know that my Redeemer That's from Job, Right? And I know there's some there's some there's some there's some references to Christ and Christ is our Redeemer in that. But ultimately, what Job is saying is, I need somebody to, to be the go between between me and God because I can't. You can never stand before God. So so there's there's this there's this um, word. I first I heard this word about twenty years ago, and it's always ringing in my head. It's called epistemic distance. Big fancy word, right? Epistemic epistemic distance right i have a doctor at ken don't you know so 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 but but basically it's this word that makes reference to the distance that god has from mankind and the whole point is that god has, is at the perfect distance from mankind now if he gets too close it's overwhelming it's overwhelming and, and and then and then our obedience our following of god is completely meaningless we're just overwhelmed in in the in the last day when the lord comes right What's going to happen to every single person in the entire world? Their knee's going to bow. That's what Paul says in Philippians, right? The knees of the people, the good church-owned people are going to bow. Hey, what about that person who you've been begging and pleading to to actually pick up their Bible for the last 20 years and they refuse? What's that person going to do? Knee going to bow, right? What about that person who lives the most immoral, heinous, self-centered, evil lifestyle that the world's ever seen? What's that person going to do? Bow right? Because when God comes, he's going to overwhelm mankind. Everybody's going to bow. Take that however far you want, right? So God doesn't come that close. But neither is God so far away that we don't have every perfect reason to believe in him. We're not just, i man, I sure hope this is right. No, we have an overwhelming amount of evidence. We're not just taking somebody's word for it. It's what Paul's talking about there in Romans, right? No, I mean, the evidence is within them. It's all around us. You don't, you don't really have any excuse. The evidence that God has put before you. He's the perfect distance away from, away from us. And so these arguments that we started off this morning, like with those cosmological arguments of cause and effect, we didn't even get to talk about design and, and moral arguments, and, and we'll work on how we can talk about those in, in, in the next few weeks. But ultimately, do I understand that God exists and that that God has revealed Himself? See, those arguments, they don't, do a lot. they don't do a lot for us in terms of the Bible teaches X, but beyond, they give a foundation. Okay. So if God exists, but there's a lot of different ideas that people have about God and who is God, has that God revealed himself to us? So what's the difference in, you know, um, someone will claim that this is God's inspired word. Someone will come, We already said it, well, same, the Koran is God's inspired word. The Book of Mormon is God's inspired word. The, the rantings of whatever. Uh, there's lots of people who have rantings and they've said this is God's word throughout the world. Okay, There are lots of cults that are out there. So how do I know the difference? Well, I'm going to look at this book. And I'm going to look for things that can only be explained by the presence of God. Supernatural things, right? Not, not, not just neat things, but things that can only be explained by, by, by the presence of God. For me, and for the sake of time, we're not going into it, but we're going to spend a whole month, okay? But, but when you talk about the scientific foreknowledge that's contained within the Bible, the things that the Bible talks about that men had no concept of, but yet those things are in the Bible, that, that, that today, science is just beginning to understand, but they've been in the Bible for years and years and years. When, when, you, when, when you see, for example, uh, the, the command to circumcise babies on the eighth day, right? And we say, okay, I don't know, just a random day, eight days later, why don't you just do it before you, know, before you leave the hospital because everybody wants to go home. So why, why, why do they say in the Bible, wait till the eighth day? And then later on, we begin to understand, oh, that just so happens to be the day. It just so happens to be the day that 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 babies are able to clot their blood more than they have ever been able to. Well, how'd the Bible know that? Why do they give them shots for that for clotting for that clotting, for, for, for that clotting na- nature today? That's why you don't have to wait too long to take your kid home today, because they give him a shot. How'd the Bible know that? The uh, only explanation I got is something supernatural. Something, something, someone beyond this world. This book is not a, is not a normal book. We'll we'll talk more about that, and then, and then we get down to talking about that the Bible teaches X. So what does the Bible teach? This is this is foundational. Okay, when we when we when we think when we, when we think about the gospel, the Bible teaches that we are lost because of sin. That's what it teaches. I wish the Bible didn't teach I was lost. This is an inconvenient truth, right? I wish the Bible just talked about how great I was and how the Lord loves me because who wouldn't love me? But that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we are a wretched people, a sinful people, people who are in constant rebellion. And, and our best efforts are nothing more than dirty rags before the presence of a holy God. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? So, so we begin to see these things, but it's only then that we see the good news The good news that Jesus came into this world to save us. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's us. To save us from our own sin. To save us from from the things that we we deserve. And it begins to show us, it begins to show us this, this this entire idea of being born again. That as we will die to ourselves, Paul would say in Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, I who live in the flesh, but Christ lives in me, right? I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, right? I almost want to sing it. But, but, but that, that, that's, that's the message of Galatians chapter 2. That's the message of the Bible. That's the truth. Now, that's just a whole bunch of nothingness if this is not true, if there is no God. Paul's going to say similar things in 1 Corinthians 15, right? When he says, he says, if there is no resurrection, we of all people ought to be pitied. People ought to really feel sorry for dumb people like you and me if we're here tonight and there is no resurrection. The truth is, we're a bunch of heretics and false teachers, if there was such a thing as a false teacher, because it's based on nothing. And his point is not that it's nothing, his point is that it is everything because the resurrection is real. There is a God. The Bible is God's inspired Word. And so these things, as a truth, have eternal significance. Heaven and hell implications. God, issues that, that relate to the very presence of God in our lives. So, so the thing that we talked about this morning, about that God exists, that needs to change us. Not just to be an argument that we can win, or a position that we take, but that we ought to be people who live as if God exists, because He does. Remember earlier, we talked about how many people live in this world with no thought of what the will of God is. They're just going out there, living their best life, doing what they want to do, when they want to do it, to the degree of however far they have the ability to push it. That's where most of the people in the world are living their life. That is not where Christians live their life. That's not where Christians live their life. Christians are constantly constantly reflecting the fact that I believe in something more than this. I believe that there is a God. And I believe that God has a will. I believe that God has revealed Himself to us. And it says something about my eternity. And it says something about my life. And it says something about my salvation. And I want that to be reflected when people see my life, my marriage, the way I treat people, the way that I live, the way that I humble myself, all those things that we all struggle with, right? I want them to see something different. Salt in a, in a tasteless world, light in a world of darkness. But the light is on because the true light is real. There is a God. May we be changed and motivated and driven by that truth that will change everything. You have a need tonight. You come as we stand and as we sing.